Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor, and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought. Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father will you bow Will you surrender to his majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. What I'm going to share with you today will be a source of great joy for some of you. And for some of you, it will be the source of depression. Perhaps even downheartedness, discouragement. Because I'm I'm going to share with you the Gentile Pentecost. And you are welcome to enter into that Pentecost, but there is a price. First, I want to share the wonderful experience of a man who entered into that Gentile Pentecost. There were two Pentecosts, one with the Jewish people in Jerusalem on what was called the Day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passion. But there's a second Pentecost in Scripture. And that was with a Gentile by the name of Cornelius, where he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with all that was in his house, in the same manner, the same result as happened in the Jewish Pentecost. Let me share with you a brief story, very brief, of Charles Finney. If you have listened to this broadcast, you've heard me share the entire story. I won't do that today. But it says he is walking back toward the village after he has repented of all of his sin. And the, and the wonderful miracle has occurred of his being given a heart, a new heart, a heart of flesh, where he's no longer concerned about his sin because it's all been removed. It's been taken from him. He writes, I walked quietly toward the village, and so perfectly quiet was my mind that it seemed as if all nature listened. I'd gone into the woods immediately after an early breakfast, and when I returned to the village, I found it was lunchtime. Yet I'd been wholly unaware of the time that had passed. It appeared to me that I'd been gone from the village only a short time. But how was I to account for the quiet of my mind? I tried to recall my convictions, to get back again the load of sin under which I'd been laboring. But all sense of sin, all consciousness of present sin or guilt had departed from me. And I testify that that is my experience. I do not walk under a load of guilt or sin My mind is perfectly quiet toward God and toward you and toward everyone else. He continues, I said to myself, what is this? That I cannot arouse any sense of guilt in my soul as great a sinner as I am. I tried in vain to make myself anxious about my present state. I was so quiet and peaceful that I tried to feel concerned about it, lest it should be a result of my having grieved the spirit away. But no matter what view I took, I could not be anxious at all about my soul and my spiritual state. The response of my mind was unspeakably great. I never can describe it in words. The thought of God was sweet to my mind, and the most profound spiritual tranquility had taken full possession of me. This was a great mystery. I went to lunch. I found I had no appetite to eat. I then went to the office and found that Attorney Wright had gone to lunch. I took down my brass viol And as I was accustomed to do, I began to play and sing some pieces of sacred music. But as soon as I began to sing those sacred words, I began to weep. 
It seemed as if my heart were all liquid and my feelings were in such a state that I could not hear my own voice in singing without causing my tears to overflow. I wondered at this and tried to hold back my tears, but could not. You understand, at this point, he is still an attorney. He's not accustomed to these kind of feelings. After trying to in vain to suppress my tears, I put away my instrument and stopped singing. Just before evening, I decided that as soon as I was left alone in the new office, I would try to pray again, that I was not going to abandon the subject of religion and give it up at any rate. Therefore, although I no longer had any concern about my soul, I would soon continue to pray. I want to stop a moment. What brings concern about our soul is when we are out of harmony with God. When we have begun, and that's why I said this is depressing for some, because many of you have walked in religion with some level of personal involvement with Jesus, but bottom line, you are still pursuing your own interests. You are going on your own path. In fact, sometimes so-called prophets give words of knowledge to people who encourage them to go on their own path. And when it suddenly begins to crash and burn and you begin to see you're not going to make it through this, great depression can come upon your mind. I've experienced this so many times where I lose all sense of my peace in Jesus and the peace does not return to me until I utterly totally, completely, inexhaustibly turn from my own way and give myself over either to be totally destroyed and lost. I give myself totally over to Jesus and I renounce my own ideas. I renounce my own wants. I renounce my own agenda. When I finally have done that, the peace of God returns to my heart and I turn in absolute trust, knowing that Jesus will order my steps, that I'm not in charge of my life. Jesus is. I'll share more from the scripture about that in just a moment. Just at dark, Attorney Wright, seeing that everything was adjusted, bade me good night and went home. I accompanied him to the door, and as I closed the door and turned around, my heart seemed to be liquid within me. All my feelings seemed to rise and flow out, and the utterance of my heart was, I want to pour out my whole soul to God. The rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room behind the front office to pray. Now, please hear me. This walk with Jesus is not first and foremost about intellectualism. It's first and foremost about my surrendering my soul my future, my family's future, totally into the hands of Jesus Christ. And that's when the peace comes, and that's when the tears will come, and that's when the release comes. I'll read more. There was no light, there was no fire in that room. Nevertheless, it appeared perfectly lit to me. As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. He said nothing, but looked at me in such a manner as to break me down right at his feet. And I have ever since regarded this as a most remarkable state of mind, for it all seemed so real to me. He stood before me. I fell down like a child at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I'm reading Charles Finney's 
experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. What I want you to know is that he was a Gentile. But the Holy Spirit came in power to him. He said, I wept like a child and made such confessions as I could with my choked utterances. I bathed his feet with my tears. He says, I must have continued in this state for a good while. But my mind was too much absorbed with the interview to recall anything that I said. Yet I know as soon as my mind became calm enough to break off the interview, I returned to the front office and found that the fire I had made was nearly burned out. But as I turned and was almost to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without any expectation of it, without ever having thought that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in my world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in such a manner that seemed to go through my body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love. I cannot express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I could recall distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was poured out, Romans 5, 5. It was poured out into my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love, and I literally bellowed out with unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I cried out, I will die if these waves continue to pass over me. How long I continued in this state, with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I don't know, but I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me. He found me in the state of loud weeping, and he said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could not answer him for some time. He then said, Are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, No, but so happy I cannot live. He turned and left the office. In a few minutes, he returned with one of the elders of the church, whose shop was just across the way from our office. This elder was a very serious man. I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. In my presence, he'd always been very watchful. When he came in, I was still in a state of loud weeping. The elder asked me how I felt, and I began to tell him, Instead of saying anything, he fell into joyous laughter. It seemed as if it were impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. Hmm. I'll stop there. That was a very short piece from Holy Spirit Revivals by Charles Finney. The Holy Spirit wants to come to you. All of the garbage of your heart has to be given over to him. You have to make a decision. Do you want this kind of joyous love and power from the Holy Spirit? Or do you want your own agenda your own direction. And you just want Jesus to maybe help you a little bit. Now, I'm telling you plainly, please hear me. There is a battle that must be fought on our knees with Almighty God and with our own heart if we are to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, it will be very depressing and very tough 
because you have thought you were walking with Jesus. You thought you were saved. You thought you were on your way to heaven. And yet you have no power. He doesn't speak to you plainly. Why? There's no peace in your heart. Because you're still loaded down with your own agenda. And to break through that requires a desperate struggle against the demonic realm. For the demonic realm would do everything they could to keep you in the flesh. To keep you following your own desire and your own will. The devil wants to keep you entrapped in the tree of the knowledge of good. It's not, some of you are not involved in evil, but the tree of the knowledge of good is utterly wicked because you are following your own desires. You're following your own culture. You're following, you're following what you want, not what God wants. You're following your own agenda, not the agenda of heaven. You want the job you want, and you want it to prosper. You want the life you want. Oh, and you want to give money to the church and to to the poor, and you want to be a good Christian? But come on, be honest with me. Are you still following your own desires? Even if they're for religion. No, this that I'm speaking of today, the Gentile Pentecost, you have to come and humble your heart before God and give over all of your security, all of your dreams, all of your agenda. You must give up your pride. Many who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ are following him in their pride because, as one man said quite a few years ago to me, I want to make a lot of money so I can help fund the gospel of Jesus. And I said to him, my dear brother, God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He doesn't want you. He doesn't want your works. He wants you. This is a very common theme that I've heard through the years. Men and women who want to pursue their own goals and their own objectives while saying this is for the purpose of building the kingdom of God. You cannot build the kingdom of God in your flesh. Only the Holy Spirit working through you can build the kingdom of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is quoted with these incredible words, If anyone would come after me, this is Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, or if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself. He must disown himself and take up or weigh anchor so that he can move now. He's not anchored anywhere except in Jesus. He takes up his cross, and he follows Jesus. Now, I can guarantee you, when you begin to deny yourself, you are going to say to yourself, as I used to say constantly, But I have given everything to follow Jesus. I have been 
in every way I know, a follower of Jesus. I'm doing all of this for Jesus. And while that may be true in your mind, it's not true before Jesus. Remember, he said, many will come on that day and will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this and this and this all in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me. I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Well, why would he say that? Because what they had done was out of their best judgment. It was out of the honest judgment of their heart. That's the problem. And when we're now called by the Holy Spirit to let go of our best judgment, we say, how can I survive this? How could I possibly live through the financial crash if I don't continue keeping all of these plates spinning in the air? How could I possibly succeed? How could I possibly survive? How could I feed my family? I'm responsible for my wife and my children. Am I not? No. Wife and children have to be placed on the altar before God. And he becomes responsible for them. I am responsible to do what God tells me to do. But to to know that, I have to hear from him. And peace comes when I weigh anchor and I follow Jesus. When I disown myself, when I abstain from being in support of me and let Jesus take full control. We're a people of such strong opinions. We're a people of defensiveness, anger, depression. Some people have become very angry with me because of what I've done and said. And now they want nothing to do with me. I'm the enemy. Before I was the wonderful friend and pastor, and but now I'm a nobody. Why? Because they have such strong opinions, such strong judgments, and are determined they are going to follow the course that they believe will save them. Please, listen. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. I've been offered money and gifts if I would just change what I preach. Oh, pastor, you can keep preaching repentance, but stop preaching this holiness. Never forget, I came back from some time a way where I earnestly sought the Lord and I got a revelation uh, through a, a book that a friend gave me, a brother gave me on the sinning Christian. I came back that Thursday night to preach to my congregation and I preached on holiness, that no one will see the Lord without holiness That night, I lost a third of my congregation. They walked out. They said, we could take this repentance business, but we can't take this holiness stuff. Well, you see, I'm not troubled by that. (laughs) I'm not troubled because I don't come on this broadcast and I don't preach to please any man save Jesus Christ. Literally... 
I win by losing. What do I lose? I lose my life. I lose success. I lose being someone that people seek after. I lose my life. I lose my reputation. But I lose it for Jesus Christ. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. It is a very depressing thing to lose your life. You have your support structures carefully built. You cannot enter into the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a Gentile with all of these things built into your heart and into your life. They have to go. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. In other words, I have to decide, cold-blooded, is my first goal to be successful? Is my first goal to be loved by people? Is my first goal to be a pastor who is revered and highly acclaimed? Or is my first goal to have Jesus Christ say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> so you see, I'm, I'm not doing what a pastor would normally do to build up and make people happy with him. Some time ago, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals in a sermon said, it's the responsibility of every pastor to build up his coin with his congregation. A person goes to the hospital and he gets a phone call. He needs to go immediately to the hospital because if he goes to the hospital, he will build up a credit with that family. And when the hard times come, they will stand behind him. I think that's sick. Yes, if the Lord directs me to go to the hospital, I'm going to go to the hospital, but not in order to earn some kind of coinage with that family. I'm going to go because the Holy Spirit is saying, go, I want you to lay hands on them and pray for them. Or I want you to go and speak this to them. You hear what I'm saying today? If we go to this 10th chapter of Acts, Cornelius is a very powerful centurion at Caesarea. I stood at Caesarea and looked out at that beautiful, beautiful beach. The, the remains of that incredibly beautiful harbor, the wealth of the area. That's where he was assigned. He was an Italian. He and his family were devout followers of God. I don't know what that means. They were not Jewish. They had not converted to Judaism. But part of his worship of the Almighty God was to give generously to those in need. And he prayed regularly. Every day he took time to pray and wait before God. One day, it's the same as it is every day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. You recognize three in the afternoon is when the lamb was slain, the sacrificial lamb. It's when our Lord was slain. He saw an angel of God that came to him and called him by name, Cornelius, and it terrifies Cornelius. He's a, he's a, 
What should I say? Uh, he's a soldier. He's a man of war. But humbly, he says, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, why would he send Peter? Because God wants no separation between Jews and Gentiles. He has poured out his spirit for the Jews. Now he's going to pour out his spirit for the Gentiles. But he's going to do so under the preaching of Peter because he is bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles as one body. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and one of his devout soldiers, and he sent them to go to Joppa to find Simon. Now it's a two-day walk. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by the four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. And a voice said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, three times, Peter knows, means God is serious. This is his word. You better abide by it. Now, I I have to just smile and say you know what those beasts represented Gentiles the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to tigers and lions and elephants and serpents and scorpions comes to all manner of humanity each with the trait of a wild beast but when the gospel of Jesus comes there's a radical change that happens in their hearts their minds. Peter is wondering about the meaning of this vision. The men sent by Cornelius find Simon's house. They stopped at the gate. They ask for Simon. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Simon. Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up. Go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down. I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come for Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man. He is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. They stay that night. The following day, they're walking. He arrives at Caesarea. He'd called Cornelius had called his close friends together. They were all present. Cornelius immediately bows down at Peter's feet. Peter says, no, 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 please stand up. I'm only a man. So Peter goes inside and he finds a large crowd. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law 
for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? Peter has not yet caught on that there's going to be a Gentile Pentecost. Four days ago, Cornelius answered, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Whatever you do for the kingdom of God, it is seen and recorded and noted by Almighty God. I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And so Peter began to review for them what had occurred. He was sure they'd heard parts of the story. Verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and prayer. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins or the removal of sins through his name. While Peter is still preaching, the Holy Spirit came on all who were listening. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So they were all baptized. God has now granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. This is chapter 11, verse 18. Peter, in explaining what happened, said the Holy Spirit came on them even as he came upon us. We heard them praising God and speaking in tongues. It's amazing. But the after effect is to assure you and me who are Gentiles the Holy Spirit is here for you. And the question is, have you died to yourself? Have you laid your life down? Do you walk in peace with no sense of guilt in your heart? The fear is gone. You have become utterly given over to the name of Jesus Christ. You are no longer going to follow your own desires or your own intellectual understandings. You're going to ask the Holy Spirit to totally change your perception, to totally change your understanding, because the Holy Spirit wants to pour out his love in your life and in your heart. Yesterday I spoke about the wrath of God. But I must also tell you of the love of God. The love of God comes about when I have taken up my cross 
And I now have said, Lord, I give up my life. I give up all hope of accomplishing anything for you, almighty God. I now am waiting upon you for direction, for power. I am now waiting, Holy Spirit, to have my heart utterly cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there may be some things he'll tell you to do. You may have to, in a very active way, present your wife and your children, your husband, before the Lord and say, Lord, he is yours. She is yours. My children are yours. I renounce all ownership of my family. They belong to you, Jesus. You may have to change jobs. You may have to go do things you never thought you would do. You may see that you are on a course of death, that you can't survive this. You may lose your house. You may lose your car. You may lose your retirement. When I went through this part of the journey, I did not go easily. I went kicking and screaming. And I lost everything. You don't need to lose everything. You can give everything to Jesus and give him full authority over all that you have and all that you are. And wait upon him to direct you. He's not going to take everything unless that's the only way he can pull you through. Some of us do it the easy way, and some of us, like me, do it the hard way, generally. (laughs) This dying is real. It's not an intellectual exercise. And the depression and the fear and the anger that rise out of giving everything over to the Lord giving your marriage, giving everything into the hand of God. When you finally come to that place and you repent of all the ways you've tried to manage your life, oh, we're we're managers. I heard one lecture say, all managers are manglers. Oh, I've been a mangler. Trying with my intuitive, intellectual ability to manage my life. I have renounced all management of my life. I have renounced doing anything with my intuition. I now wait upon the Lord. And I only go where he sends me. I only do what he tells me to do. This message today is not a product of my intellect or my emotion. It's a product of coming out of the prayer closet and the Holy Spirit giving me very specific things to speak to you about, even to the telling of of how I should put it together. Yes, it requires study and prayer, and it requires a careful understanding of what the Word says. But in the end, it's what the Holy Spirit says. So how does this suit of clothes fit you? Are you ready to put on Jesus Christ and lay aside all that is of your own flesh and your own heart, your own desire and your own will, are you ready to put on Jesus Christ? Are you ready to go in and kneel before him 
and recognize that you must disown yourself. And all that you have thought you needed to do to survive. Are you ready to pull your anchor up and let your life drift in Jesus Christ? Under his direction. Not under your direction. Are you willing to let your wisdom go? Surrender your wisdom to Jesus' wisdom. It will require intense reading of the scriptures. It will require hours of prayer. Because we are stubborn people. We think we know. This is not about what you think you know. This is about Jesus, the man. And those of you who've gotten angry at me because of what I've preached, I forgive you and I love you. But I do ask you to surrender your life. My message is not going to change. I'm going to preach repentance. I'm going to preach judgment. I'm going to preach holiness. And I'm going to preach the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to call you to die. That's as straight up as I can be. (laughs) And I know we're all stubborn. We all want our own way. Some of you are going to have to pack and move. Oh, but I don't want to do that. Did Jesus ask you if you wanted to do it? Well, my brother and my sister, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I love you. I'd love to hear from you. I thank my dear brother and sister who just sent an offering to help cover the cost of this radio broadcast. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go online and go to National prayerchapel.com please there are many shorts that our brother Ed has put up would you pass those on to friends and invite them to listen to this broadcast and if you have not yet done so would you subscribe to our channel the number of people we have subscribed will affect how far Google sends these messages God bless you my brother my sister I love you I'm praying for you. Be of good courage. Trust Jesus. I'll talk to you soon.